everyone, and welcome to the Fertility in Focus podcast. I'm your host, Christina Burns. I'm a doctor of natural medicine specializing in the treatment of infertility via natural and integrative methods. I founded the Naterna Institute in New York City, where my team and I work with women and couples, often in collaboration with Western medical doctors, to guide the path to healthy conception. In this podcast, you'll learn all about your body and everything in the fertility landscape to help you realize your dream of baby. I'll be bringing you the best of advice from experts in the fields of both natural and conventional medicine, as well as the heartfelt and very helpful stories of brave fertility heroes on their path to baby. Let's dive into today's episode. The fertility focus is always on us females. But little known is that male fertility rates have plummeted in recent years and continue to decline by around 1% per year. Why is nobody talking about this? Well, apparently there is uh, a whistleblower and we're going to get into that. But I think part of the reason that we're not being told much about it is that I've learned from specialists in the field that the thought is that only about 10% of the quality of an embryo is attributed to the male. So no one ever focuses on the male because they're like, oh, 10% of embryo quality, like why even bother? But, you know, there's some debate on that. There's a lot of debate because people are saying there's not enough evidence to say that that we have to focus more on the male side to improve embryo quality. But maybe throughout the discussion we're going to have in today's episode, you'll see that there's at least a point in having the male side of the equation, maybe try to be a bit healthier, address his lifestyle a little bit, potentially take a few supplements, who knows. Um, But in the very least, start putting a tiny bit of um, responsibility or onus on the other side of the equation. I will say I don't do a ton of counseling for the male side because I find that it starts fights between the couples. And so I, in the earlier days of my career, I was always like, let's get him involved. Let's get him involved because that would be the ideal when two sides of the equation are working on this together. But what I found that is that people were saying that, oh, my husband didn't want to do it. My partner didn't want to do it. He, um, we kept getting in fights because he said he would stop drinking and then he didn't. And I kept having to talk to him and the kicker is that most doctors will say he doesn't have to. And that's because of what I just told you about the embryo quality. I surmise that's why. It's also because ICSI, the advent of ICSI, intracytoplasmic sperm injection in IVF, has made it so they don't believe that it's necessary for there to be like really good sperm quality because they just go and select out of a dish, um, out of their sample that they produce, one nice-looking sperm to inject into an egg and fertilize it. And so they're like, well, you know, the whole natural selection thing where a bunch of sperm go and attack an egg, like we don't even really need that anymore because we have ICSI where we can just select one and inject it right in there. Could we potentially be getting better embryo quality? Could we potentially be having better IVF success rates? Could we be mitigating pregnancy loss and miscarriage? Maybe. My opinion is always like, okay, if the approach to be improving things is just veering towards nutritional and lifestyle changes, integrating some things, why not? But I will caveat that with, it starts fights. A very controversial idea I've touched upon is basically the the notion that maybe sperm matters a little bit more. And so to kind of get into this a little bit, 
we talk a little bit about the testing. Like currently the sperm parameters that are tested are the morphology, which is essentially the shape, motility, which is how they swim, um, and the quantity. Uh, so it's basically like how many sperm do you have? Can they swim? Are they wonky shapes like broken tail or weird head or what have you? Um, and so if those parameters look pretty decent, they usually are like, you're fine. You could even have a partner with his morphology, like a bunch of weird shapes, but because he has so many sperm, because his quantity is high, uh, then it doesn't matter as much. So these are the current parameters. There are some people doing a test called DNA fragmentation. So we're going to look into this right now. DNA fragmentation is something that occurs when there is a death of the cell, essentially. Healthy DNA, it's going to get a little technical here for a second. Healthy DNA is distinguished by a double helix spiral held together by cross bonds that together appear to form the shape of a ladder. We know this from, you know, high school science class. However, when any of the DNA rungs become broken or unstable, the whole genetic ladder becomes unsteady. The result is sperm fragmentation. So DNA fragmentation the thought is can lead to chromosomal abnormalities, which contribute to pregnancy loss, birth defects, unsuccessful implantation or transfers, all the things. And now that they're testing with PGTA, all it used to be known as PGS, uh, there's, you know, they're weeding out a lot of the, the abnormally made up embryos, but could DNA fragmentation have played a role in that? I mean, I surmise that, yes, I know I have a lot of colleagues, like medical doctor colleagues that would be like, no way. So I want to give you all sides of the argument here. I just, I, I have trouble thinking that they only account for 10% of the equation. All said, I mean, we do do 90% or maybe a hundred of the work of carrying the baby and birthing and breastfeeding if we do that and, and all the things that come after. Uh, but I still think it's worthwhile to have this discussion and maybe you might feel a bit more supported if uh, your partner is engaging a little bit in the process. So a recent New York Times article featuring a fertility expert, fertility expert, Dr. Paul Turek, explained that our DNA tends to be progressively breaking down as we age. Uh, so, you know, we have cellular breakdown, we have collagen breakdown, we have DNA breakdown, and that would make it so the older a man gets, the greater the chances of DNA fragmentation, the greater the chance of birth defects. They're finding in men over 40 that it's more likely that you'll have an autistic child, for example, which is something you cannot test for. And obviously chromosomal abnormalities and other birth defects. And we're going to get into like the notion that pregnancy loss goes up too. So it does potentially lead to a higher chance of infertility and pregnancy loss. Not only does DNA fragmentation directly correlate to lower fertility in men, but it's also linked to recurrent pregnancy loss, which is defined as two or more failed pregnancies. A 2018 study published in the Middle East Fertility Society Journal examined the role that fragmented DNA plays in recurrent pregnancy loss, also known as RPL. Through the course of the study, researchers researchers conducted a two-year retrospective review of 149 couples. 67 of the study participants had partners who were who were healthy and had normal karyotype, which refers to the number and appearance of the chromosomes present in a cell. The study found that cytogenetic abnormalities, so chromosomal defects, is one of the most common causes of recurrent fetal loss. So again, that recurrent pregnancy loss miscarriage, essentially. 
The study also confirmed that 75% of the sperm samples from couples experiencing recurrent pregnancy loss demonstrated an ideal sperm count, motility, and morphology. The idea is that if you're using the normal sperm parameters that everybody's testing, the guy looks great. But the authors of the study stated that this fact drives home the limitation of routine semen examination in detecting sperm defect abnormalities. Researchers determined that testing for sperm DNA integrity could prove valuable for couples struggling to conceive. While conclusive answers about the ability to test for DNA fragmentation have yet to be presented by the scientific community, it remains well accepted that sperm fragmentation lead to complications, including miscarriage and infertility. I mean, I'm not exactly sure if that part is totally true. While conclusive answers about the ability to test for DNA fragmentations have yet to be presented by the scientific community, for some people, it's well accepted that sperm fragmentation leads to complications, including miscarriage and infertility. I really hear a lot of different opinions in the fertility field from my medical doctor colleagues about this. Rather than wait for a definitive test, maybe it stands to reason that men should take steps that can reduce the effects of DNA fragmentation. That's essentially my point. I think why not improve your overall health and reduce oxidative damage, oxidative stress, free radical damage, um, not just by supplementing with antioxidants, but by reducing also lifestyle things that will affect the integrity of the sperm and uh, potentially cause DNA fragmentation. These are the same things that will cause accelerated aging. Refer to my podcast on antioxidants and oxidative stress. So what's happening with male fertility? Why is it on the decline? Sperm might be under attack, says Dr. Swan, who helped sound the alarm with a landmark research paper in 2017. She also wrote a book called Countdown, published earlier this year, and has spent the last several decades researching for environmental explanations for the male fertility decline. In addition to widely known sources of depleted sperm counts, such as smoking, stress, inactivity, obesity, poor diet, she zeroed in on the prevalence of certain harmful plastic and chemical products ubiquitous in the modern world, which she argues have contributed to fertility, infertility. And I do think that toxins are silently basically attacking many aspects of our health. There's a chapter in my book called uh, Our Toxic World, and it goes into the different toxins and how they affect fertility. Uh, so I think it's a pertinent topic, and, and I think it's valuable that we start to detox our life, products that we use in our home, products that we use in our skin, things that we consume food out of, that we just need to have a bit more attention on this because it could be the thing that's holding you back. Um, certain professions are more fraught with toxins, like if you work in a salon or dental or industry. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of places that we're coming into contact with them. I mean, I live in New York city. Uh, I'm bombarded. I have all the fancy air filters, water filters, all the things to possibly make me healthy. But if I'm being honest, I definitely notice a huge difference in my health energy levels, how puffy I am when I am in nature versus in this fabulous city. So the toxins are things like pesticides from commercial farms, uh, BPAs, which I have an entire podcast on about, uh, you know, what's getting into our water. Uh, they are generally, and the reason why I refer to water is because they get into plastic water bottles. Now, a lot of plastic water bottle companies are saying they're BPA free. Maybe they are, but there's also other stuff coming out of plastic. So be warned of that, xenoestrogens and what have you, uh, 
PFOAs, otherwise known as barrier chemicals, which apply in Teflon rain jackets and uh, the surface of nonstick saute pans, as well as, as flame retardants. So, you know, we're probably having the most exposure out of those to Teflon and nonstick saute pans. And I'm a really big fan of cast iron. I know it's really heavy, but it's great for cooking food and we don't have to worry about the toxins. Rain jackets. I mean, I think, you know, if we come down, we really look at the amount of plastic we're exposed to. It's horrible. We're just touching it all day long. And remember that skin is your largest organ. So people are like, oh, if it gets on my skin, no big deal. But your skin is porous and absorbs things into your bloodstream. Basically, the toxins fall under the umbrella of endocrine disrupting chemicals, EDCs, which disrupt hormone production, which will affect sperm count, quality, what have you. And obviously, it affects female fertility too. So there it is. Age, smoking, toxins, chemicals, testicular cancer would be an obvious one. That's why a lot of men who have cancer of any kind Um, If it's testicular, yes, but also if they have another cancer and they're going through chemo or radiation, they often have to just freeze sperm before they do it because their sperm will likely be mostly destroyed. But even things like heat exposure, uh, so like cell phone in your pocket or laptop on your lap or lots of bicycling in tight shorts kind of thing, this is going to heat up the testicles. Women are generally okay with warmth. Men's testicles, like we basically don't want to fry them. And another one that people don't think about is infection. There's one doctor in New York that gives everybody like crazy amounts of antibiotics. I don't necessarily agree with it. Intravenous, just tons of antibiotics because he thinks that most infertility is created by some kind of infection. I've done podcasts on this, things like candida, for example, the imbalance of the microbiome that can lead to issues with fertility. Uh, so, you know, I definitely think that this, this is pertinent, but I, I don't think that consistently blasting with doxycycline is, is necessarily a good idea either. I think we have to look at why is there a reoccurring infection? What's going on? It's sometimes hygiene, but most of the time, not most of the time it's diet. We will get right back to today's episode in just a sec, but I didn't want to miss the opportunity to tell you about an exciting new project that I have underway. So here it is. I get a lot of questions about what to eat and avoid when trying to get pregnant. Since so many of you are interested in optimizing your fertility via nutrition, I've created a very special course that teaches you the ins and outs of just that. It hasn't launched yet, but keep your eyes and ears peeled for my course on fertility nutrition. Whether you are already undergoing IVF or just trying the old fashioned way, my goal is to help give you all the nutritional tools you need to enhance your fertility and speed your path to baby. All right, let's jump back in. You made the argument earlier that even if you don't do a DNA fragmentation test, you could start working on things with lifestyle. So men could, for example, start to curtail or eliminate negative behavioral habits, such as smoking, drinking, um, needless exposure to toxins and pollutants. According to a leading fertility clinic in the UK, men may also benefit from eating a balanced diet with naturally occurring antioxidants, and that that has been shown to improve or battle the DNA fragmentation issue. So let's get into fun facts and solutions. Daily sex was linked to reduce sperm fragmentation. So interestingly enough, I guess moving the circulation in the testicles by, you know, unloading the sperm, sorry, lack of better term, uh, regularly has been shown to help. So basically stagnant sperm sitting in the testes is not ideal. 
Another thing that I didn't mention that it commonly causes issues with sperm is a varicose seal. It's sort of like a varicose vein in the testicles. And so the circulation isn't very good. And so sometimes what's recommended to improve sperm quality is a surgery for the varicose seal. But that usually takes quite a bit of time out of trying and not exactly pleasant for the male. And there are, th- if it's not a very severe varicose seal, there's a lot of things that can be done to help the circulation. Research, so back to the to the sex link to reduce sperm fragmentation, research suggests that the amount of sex a man has can impact their sperm quality. A 2009 study published by the European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology suggests that men who have daily sex can reduce sperm DNA fragmentation. Obviously, we would like more evidence, but and, and I think that daily sex is maybe a tall ask, especially depending on the age of the male. I actually don't recommend it. So older men or ones with not so high of sperm counts, generally we're seeing maybe every two to three days sex during the fertile window so that you save up a good, this is another bad term, load for when you do deliver it kind of thing. Uh, but you don't want to go too long because then you run into the stagnant sperm issue that could lead to wonky sperm. What else can he do? Anti-inflammatory diet avoiding things like excess red meat, charred meat, hydrogenated oils, things cooked at high temperatures, like fried food, lots of booze and tons of caffeine. Like all of these things we can reduce candy, sugar, gluten, excess dairy, your typical anti-inflammatory diet, also known as an elimination diet. I mentioned this earlier, but don't fry your testicles with electronics and also don't heat up the testicles too much, say with spin classes or being a competitive cycler, managing stress because stress does affect all the things, including the sperm. And, you know, maybe while you're trying, especially if you're having issues, if he can avoid um, booze, smoke and partying, that would be great if we could just keep it a little bit cleaner in that respect. Loose boxers um, to allow breathing so we're not overheating. And then everyone's favorite topic, supplements. (laughs) So I am a fan of trying to do things with actual food and nutrition, but I do think there is a place for supplements for sure, especially to speed up the process. So selenium, about about, um, 100 milligrams a day has been um, shown to improve sperm quality and motility. Vitamin C at 1200 milligrams a day can improve sperm quality, normalize hormones, prevent uh, sperm from clumping called agglutination. Uh, vitamin E 400 IU daily is an antioxidant to fight free radical damage. Zinc at about 50 to 60 MG daily increases sperm count and, and quality. L-arginine 500 to 1000 daily. It's an amino acid that helps produce healthy sperm. Folic acid 1000 a day. I'm always a, a fan of methylfolate rather than folic acid because I think a lot of people have the MTHFR gene mutation, which makes it hard for them to process folic acid. CoQ10, another antioxidant, 200 a day to improve the sperm quality. Glutathione helps the body detox, can help sperm quality, motility, and morphology, 250 a day. L-carnitine, an amino acid, 800 a day for to help with the sperm function. Vitamin D, 2000 IU, also makes you happier, helps you with digestion and immunity. Vitamin D is one of my faves. And fish oil, omega-3, 1 to 2000 daily can help with the fluidity of the sperm, help with their fluid that they're in and help them swim. And it's highly anti-inflammatory. In terms of foods, it's just a very alkaline anti-inflammatory diet. So lots of veggies and not a lot of processed foods and 
having some plant-based proteins rather than having everything from animals, doing more water cooking methods rather than charring foods on the barbecue. So you're going to hear me repeat these things over and over again, like how to have an anti-inflammatory diet, how to have a a diet that balances your insulin levels and blood sugar levels, how to have a diet that uh, helps to cleanse your body. And so you're going to hear the same principles repeated over and over again, which is why I don't go into great detail. But if you listen throughout the podcast, you'll see the same themes kind of popping up. And I'll, of course, be doing spotlights on nutrients and supplementation. But know this, I am a fan of correcting things with lifestyle. And I think that that the supplements only get you so far if your body is all junked up with bad food. And I also, being a, a doctor of oriental medicine, I'm a huge fan of acupuncture and a huge fan of herbs, obviously acupuncture is amazing for sperm. Another thing that's been shown to improve sperm is moxibustion. If somebody doesn't like needles, there's a sage that can be burned at different points. You can even learn how to do this at home. That can help sperm quality because sometimes trying to get your man to the acupuncturist is actually not that easy. So know this, there are several ways to go about this and try not to get too stressed if he won't do all the things. They rarely do. Maybe you pick one thing that he can do. Maybe he cuts, like if he's drinking a lot, maybe he cuts that back. Maybe he's drinking out of cans because those have BPA. Maybe he can stop that and drink out of bottles. You know, maybe it's like we, we just focus on baby steps for them rather than expecting them to suddenly turn into one of us like type A women who will do everything at once just to get to our goal as fast as humanly possible. I hope this was helpful. Always here for, for you. If you want more information and you have suggested topics that you want to cover and we can get super specific, I just need to know what it is you're looking for. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please subscribe, leave a review. The more that you as a community appreciate the podcast, the more visibility it gets on Apple and Spotify without reviews. It kind of sinks into the background and we just rely on, on the visibility to get the message out to more people. Thanks for tuning in. I'm really happy you've tuned in and joined the community, and I'm so excited to bring you more helpful content with each episode. In order to make this podcast as helpful as possible, I want to hear your input on what questions you need answered to get you feeling empowered on your fertility journey. You can DM me on Instagram at at naturna underscore life or at naturally CB to share your most important fertility related questions. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please follow and share with friends. My mission is to help as many women and couples as possible. And for that, I need your help. Yours as always in love and light, Dr. Christina.